Welcome to everybody that's watching online as well. It's just so lovely and such a privilege to have you here uh, with us. And we'll probably do something big on our 10th birthday. I think we should rent out a stadium and have one big service. And so we've got three years to fill a big stadium. Are you okay with that? Can you do that? All right. Well, it's, uh, it's uh, quite a week of celebration. This week, my wife and I celebrated 15 years of marriage, which is good. And uh, we kissed many times this week already. We don't need to kiss again. Uh, we snuck away to an island somewhere without our children. And so thank you to the grandparents that are here. Aren't grandparents amazing? They, uh, they are the, f the cheapest babysitters of all time. Uh, but we had a wonderful week away. And I'm excited about what God's doing. I'm actually starting a series that I'm going to do over the next month. And it's a finance series in our church. And we, we talk about finance probably once a year in our church. We end up doing a series about finance. And if you've been coming to our church longer than two weeks, you'll know we don't spend much time at all talking about tithes and offerings in the middle of our services. Uh, in fact, when Kate got up just before, you would have seen her just explain how to give and then pray for it. And uh, it's not that we're afraid to talk about it at all. It's not that we're scared to talk about it. But I kind of just figured I've been doing church a very, very long time, and I've seen how different people do church in different ways. And a few years ago, I, I sort of got the conviction that you know, one of the things that people say against church is, well, the church, they, they, all they talk about is money, and they just want your money. And so I thought to myself, you know, uh, people aren't really going to change too much their theology and their conviction on giving by us every week trying to give a quick 10-minute tithe and offering message and trying to get more money out of you, which is not our heart at all. So I decided what we're going to do is once a year, we're going to spend time talking about it unashamedly. We're going to talk about God's heart for it. And it would be, uh, it would be amiss of me as your senior pastor to not talk to you about how God views our finances and how we should actually use our finances. It, it would be wrong of me to not explain uh, the biblical theology of giving and what it means. And so today, I kind of want to uh, start our series. The title of our series is called Treasures, Treasures of the Heart. <laughs> oh, all right. I feel like I should be Indiana Jones right now with that picture <laughs> back there. Treasures of the heart. Matthew 6, 19. If you've been around church, you might have heard this before. It says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. This is Jesus speaking. Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For, here we go, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That Jesus is in the middle of his most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we've called it. And he is taking pot shots at so many different uh, 
subjects throughout this sermon. And in the middle of this sermon, he makes this incredible statement. He commands everybody, hey, don't store up your treasures here on earth. They're, they're going to fade away with all the other things that are going to fade away. But instead, I want you to think about storing up your treasures in heaven. And then he gets to this, this famous line that many of us have heard, some of us maybe for the first time today, but gets to this line where he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this week, as I was thinking and preparing and praying for this sermon, it kind of struck me. I think we've got a bit of a chicken and the egg scenario. If you don't know what that means, it's a great conundrum of humanity. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Which one comes first? And I kind of thought about this. Uh, which one comes first? Is it your treasure and then your heart follows? Or is it your heart and then your treasure follows? And to be honest, I think it's actually both. I remember when I first fell in love with my wife all those many years ago. The year was 2007. <laughs> it was 2007, and I fell in love with her. She was beautiful. Actually, this week, we were uh, together, and she looked at me. And you know, you always get weird and emotional around your anniversaries, and you end up asking just silly questions. You know, She looked at me. She's like, why did you choose me? Wow. Right? <laughs> And she said it exactly like that as well. Why did you cheat to me? <laughs> and, I, and, I remember, and I looked at her, and in that moment, I was teleported back all the way to 2007, where we were standing in a kitchen together, and we'd kind of been dating for a, a few weeks. And my family, they were actually, it was, it was in my place. I lived in a small unit. My whole family was there. We were preparing for my sister's wedding. And they were there. I think my dad was getting a haircut. And I was in the kitchen with Kate. And we were washing dishes together. Because, man, that's how you get a girl. You show her that, uh, <laughs> show her that you can wash the dishes. And, and we're washing dishes together. And I remember she said something. And I started laughing. And then she laughed. And if you know my wife, she doesn't just laugh like a little bit. Like her whole body gets into the laugh. <laughs> it's like a full body laugh when she laughs. And I remember. Uh, all those years ago, 16 years ago, looking at her in the kitchen. And, you know, my story for many of you that know, I, I'd gone through a bit of a hard season before I met Kate. And I looked at her and I just remember all this joy. And so this week she goes, Why did you chip me? I said, Because you gave me joy. And, and here's the thing when Kate got my heart, boy, did she get my treasure. When she got my heart, there was no amount of money that was too big to spend on her. I remember I would go without things in order to buy her stuff. I bought her presents. I bought her this and that. We got married. I bought her beautiful jewelry. I bought her a house to live in. I bought all now. I still haven't bought her enough because come on, how many of y'all ladies know your man can never buy you enough? So I'm not a great husband. I'm just a normal husband, right? We can all do better. Amen? Any of the women say amen? Your husband can do better? All I hear is Tally saying amen in the front right now. It's the small things, John. It's the small things. Thanks, thanks for that, Tally. Thanks for preaching that. I'm on, I'm on my vacation with my wife. You start talking about all the small things John does. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. 
Should have seen the looks I got from my wife. She walked out of the room. She, well, I appreciate the small things as well. So thank you, John. Right? When she got my heart, my treasure followed willingly. She grabbed my heart, and there is nothing. If she asks me for something, I will make it happen. Why? Because she has my heart. In the last couple of years, I've gotten involved, Kate and I have gotten involved in businesses. I love, I love business. I, I, I love entrepreneurship. And my heart's gotten involved in business. There's a couple of business. We're involved in a data analytics company. We're involved in, in, uh, in a plastic bag company that's not plastic. It's made from cassava, right? So, so our, our treasure has gone into these businesses. And because our treasure's in there, my heart has followed. Like, I did not care about how much plastic was in the world two years ago, right? Anybody else want to be honest with me? Everyone's really weird and quiet this morning, <laughs> right? But now, I'm like, let's save the turtles. I, I care. I care about data. I care about cameras and about, like, capturing data. How much data can we capture without breaking any privacy laws, right? But then can we break laws? Like, where can we go? Like, my heart now, my heart has followed my treasure, so where the treasure is from my heart. So people ask, well, well what comes first? Is it your heart and treasure? I, I don't think it matters. This is what I think. I think wherever your heart is, your treasure is going to end up. And wherever your treasure is, your heart is going to end up as well. And so Jesus, he continues his thought. And in case you're wondering, you know, whether he was metaphorically talking about treasure, does it really represent something else? He, he goes on, he makes it pretty clear. Hey, you can't serve two masters. And those two masters are very clear. It's you can't serve God and money because you'll either hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. Let me make it really clear. Jesus says that you can't serve it. He doesn't say that you can't have it. In fact, next week, I'm going to be talking about how we steward our money. And I believe that we should never serve money, but money should serve us. We'll talk about that. Come back next week. Jesus talked a lot about money when he was on this earth. A quarter of his parables were about money. He often used business or finance illustrations to get his point across. He wasn't afraid at all to talk about money, but how come so often in the church we're afraid to talk about money? We kind of get weird about it. It's like, oh, okay, we're talking about money today. I think it's simple. I think it's because, unfortunately, church is full of people, <laughs> right? Unfortunately, there's people in church. And you know what that means? That means the moment there's people in church, there's going to be humans in church that aren't perfect, and there's going to be humans that make mistakes. And unfortunately, there have been pastors, men and women, that have abused and manipulated their leadership positions and have misused church's finances. They've misused the money of God. And this is something that in our church, I want to promise you from the deepest, darkest part of my heart, that in our church, we will do everything we can to maintain transparency and be above reproach in our church. In fact, 
uh, right now on our website, you can go there. We have our audited financial statements from the year 2022 of last year. It's up there. It's open. I believe, if, if I'm still correct on this, I believe we're one of the only churches, if not one of the, the only churches in the entire Philippines that put it up there. I don't know why more churches wouldn't do it. I think it's we should be transparent about where the money is going. Now, you still may not like it. That's okay. But we're at least being transparent about where it's going. And so in our church, I'm not afraid to talk about money because I know we're not going to manipulate you. In fact, at the end of this sermon, I'm going to, t- I'm going to give you a heads up of what I'm going to do at the end of this sermon. At the end of this sermon, as I preach about money, do you know what I'm going to tell you to do? I'm going to tell you to go away and to pray about it, to make your own decision to get your own revelation from God. It's not my job to manipulate you. It's not my job to try and twist your arm. I want to present to you what the word of God says, and it's up to you and I to get our own conviction. A theme that we can see that is connected to money throughout the Bible is how money is attached to your heart. And this is very important because our hearts are very, very important. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says this, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Sometimes we can read scriptures and read it pretty fast, and we kind of read through pretty quickly. This says above all else. So above all else, like put everything else aside, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because everything you do, everything you say, everything you are is going to flow out of your heart. And so when it comes to finances, Jesus is connecting finances with our heart, which begs the question, why is Jesus connecting these finances and these treasures to our heart? God doesn't need our money. It's not like God is in heaven right now with the Holy Spirit and Jesus. God, COVID, it hit us pretty hard. We need some more money. Come on, go down, get James to raise more money for heaven. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. That's a lot of hills. That's a lot of cattle. God wants you to eat meat. No. God doesn't need your money. God's ultimate goal in his relationship with us is that he would have our hearts. He doesn't just want your words. He wants our heart. And what is our heart? Our heart, it represents our mind, our soul, our spirit. It represents our entire emotional nature and our understanding. And so because God knows his people, this is what he knows, that wherever your heart is, your treasure is going to be there. That's meaning wherever your treasure is, there your heart is going to be there. Get your heart, your treasure follows. Get your treasure, your heart is already there. This is the context that we find ourselves in when we get to this story of the rich young ruler, which totally contradicts another story in the Bible of Zacchaeus. I want to look at both of these stories really quickly. Mark chapter 10, 17, it says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. I want you to get that. Jesus did not look at him and judge him. 
He looked at him with love. So everything he's about to say is coming from a heart of love. And he says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Not this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, this story has been misquoted. It's been misrepresented. I want to tell you from, from the start, this is not Jesus saying, go and sell everything you have. Uh, being poor does not make you more spiritual. Jesus is not impressed by wealth. In the same breath, he's not impressed by poverty either. Your poverty does not make you more spiritual. Jesus was looking at this man that was doing everything right on the outside, right? Everything, he was doing all the right stuff. He was saying the right things. He was coming to church. He was lifting his hands. He was singing hallelujah. He was probably giving his tithe as well. But he looked and said, even though you give and even though you give certain things, your money has your heart more than I do. And so Jesus spoke specifically to this man because Jesus wasn't after his money. Jesus was after his heart. Sell it all, and then your heart will be fully mine. And what happens? The man walks away sad. I think he walked away sad because in that moment he realized no matter how good he had been on the outside, he knew that Jesus and God didn't have his full heart. This contracts the, the, the um, contrasts. Why did I say contracts? This contrasts another story that we find in the Bible from a little man named Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So this wee little man ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this, and they began to mutter, oh, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up, and he said to the Lord, Lord look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus had a revelation of Jesus. And through that revelation, it led him to be generous with his treasure. In fact, Jesus's response to his humility and generosity was to declare that salvation had come to his house. Now, again, don't misinterpret this. This does not mean that you can buy your salvation. It doesn't matter how much money you give away. Jesus isn't going to love you more. He can't die on the cross anymore for any amount of money that you give. But we can see this contrast between Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler. One was sad about the idea of giving up his great wealth. The other one had a revelation of who Jesus was, had a revelation of his own sin, and was prepared to give up half of his wealth and repay back four times those that he had taken advantage of. You see the difference in the response of Jesus. The rich young ruler, he walked away. The other man, he declared, Zacchaeus, salvation has come. And it had nothing to do with the amount. It had everything to do with the heart. 
Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it says, love the Lord your God with, come on, with, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So if we are to love God with all our heart, not just some of it, not just Sunday morning church, but with all of our heart, then our treasure is obviously attached to our heart. How does this affect what we do with our money? We must be careful to not allow money and wealth to grip our heart. Because remember what Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You will not be the first one in history that gets this right. Mark chapter 4, 19, but the worries of this life, Jesus says, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and it chokes the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus warns us that wealth can be deceitful, and it's usually attached to the desires for other things that will come, and what will it do? It will choke the word of God, the seed of God that has been planted in our lives. Wealth and money, and can I just say, wealth is all relative. What's wealthy to you might be poor to somebody else or might be rich to somebody else. You may think you're poor, but to somebody else, you may be rich. You may think that you're rich, but to somebody else, you may be poor. Wealth is all relative, but I must manage my wealth in a way that it never grips my heart and it never takes ownership of my heart. If my heart is fully given to God, then my treasure will follow my heart and it will follow joyfully and not with pain. I think the simplest way to make sure that money does not own my heart is to tithe. And tithing is one of these things that a lot of people have heard about. And maybe we've heard some right things about it, and maybe we've heard some wrong things about it. I want us to look at a biblical foundation for tithing today and talk about why it's so good, why it's healthy, and how it can help keep our heart fully owned by God. Tithing is biblical. It's mentioned 41 times in Scripture, seven in the New Testament, and once directly by Jesus. Tithing started over 500 years before the law of Moses was given, and it's stated throughout the law and throughout the whole Bible. In fact, tithing was reinstated following biblical revivals that we see in 2 Chronicles 31 and Nehemiah chapter 10. So what is a tithe? A tithe literally means a tenth. And so when you tithe, it means you set aside a tenth, 10% 10 of everything that I earn and I receive. Leviticus 27, verse 30, it says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So the tithe not only belongs to God, but it is holy to him. And so when we give a tithe to God, I just want to squash a myth when you tithe, you are not being generous. You are giving back to God what is already his. God allows us to keep 90%. Come on, how many of y'all are grateful that God allows us to keep 90%? I am. Some people are like, I'm being, I'm being generous with my tithe today. No, you're not. You're just giving back to God what is his already. And could I put it to you that biblical giving is not just giving a tenth but it's actually giving the first tenth of what you receive. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. The idea of giving your first runs throughout 
the whole Old Testament. God wants us to give not just a tenth, but to give our best, to give our first. And uh, I'm going to talk about this next week again, because I believe that scripture is very clear that when you give God something, he's going to bless the rest of what you have. And I want him to bless the 90%, not just the 3%. The idea of this first fruits is throughout the whole Bible. And wherever you allocate your finances, I guarantee you I can show you where your heart is. If you show me where you spend your money, whether it's your checkbook or whether it's your online bank statement, I'll be able to show you where your heart is. When you get that pay, what do you spend your money on straight away? Is it a mortgage? Is it a loan repayment? Is it load so that you can text? Is it Shopee or Lazada? Is it gambling? Is it buying food? Is it paying bills? I'll tell, I can tell you where your heart is by the very first thing that you spend your money on when you get your wage. That is where your heart is because that is where you're putting your treasure straight away. And this is not a legalistic thing. It's a heart thing. When we bring God the first, we are honoring him. You know, Genesis chapter 4, it tells us the first story of the first murder that ever happened in the history of humanity. How crazy are humans that there's like only four of us and one killed another? If you don't know the story, you should look it up in Genesis chapter 4. But before Cain murdered his brother, there's something significant that happened. Verse 2, it says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Here we can see straight away, Cain brought some of the, first, of, of the fruits, some. Not the first, probably not even the best. He just brought some. Whereas Abel brought from the firstborn of the flock. Do you know the, the power in this idea of bringing the first fruits and the firstborn is this. As you bring the first, you don't know how much more you're going to get but you're committing to bringing the first. Yeah. Abel brought the best of fat portions. Come on, we're Filipinos. We love fat. Come on, I've seen y'all eat fat. Yeah. That buffet, get into that lechon. Oh, that sisig, you get into that, that fat, the fat. Abel was a Filipino. <laughs> he brought that fat portion, right? He brought the best. He brought the firstborn, not knowing how many more were going to be born. It didn't matter. He brought from the first. Cain ended up getting jealous, and he murdered him. That's a whole other story. But Abel brought the first. Cain just brought some of the fruits. Abel brought the best from the firstborns that were there. When we tie, when we give him our first, we are honoring the Lord with our wealth. But here's the thing, we got to make sure that as we tithe and as we give, that we have the right motivation for tithing, or else we can get the wrong picture of this and we can miss out on the correct biblical mandate for tithing. 
If we ever give to God feeling manipulated, feeling controlled, feeling emotionally pressured, then we are giving from the wrong motivation. And again, that's something we never want to do in our church. We always say in our church, when you give, you should give out of conviction and not out of compulsion. After this whole message, I'm going to encourage you, go and pray. Lord, what are you speaking to me about? But I want to give you just three biblical motivations that we should have when we tithe. The first is this, is that when we tithe, it should be theological and not financial. Our motivation should be theological and not financial. Our motivation for tithing should never, ever be based on financial promises, but it should be based on our biblical theology that we see in the Bible. Now, I believe that God blesses his people, which again, I want to tell you, I think it's all relative. What's a blessing to you, huge blessing may be a very small blessing to somebody else. What's a small blessing to you might mean the world to somebody else. I believe that God will bless you financially, but that should never be the motivation to give. My motivation to give should always come back to the word of God. Some people will try and butt against tithing and go, yes, but tithing's an Old Testament principle. It's an Old Testament thing. It was under the law, and now because of Jesus, we're under grace. We're not under law. Did you know that Jesus himself talked about tithing? Matthew 23, 23. He's talking to the religious leaders, and he says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Again, you know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying tithe, but when you tithe, don't neglect the matters of the heart. Are you getting a theme? Jesus is actually more after your heart than he is after your money. But he says, hey, you need to do the important things. Keep tithing, but you actually need to do the important things, which will reflect whether I own your heart or not. Never, ever give to get. You know why? You'll be disappointed. Never give to get. You'll be disappointed. Give from a motivation of good theology, and you will never go without our God promises to give you everything that you need, not everything you want, but everything that you need. Our second motivation should be that it should be motivated out of honor and not out of fear. First uh, Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, it says, those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. God blesses those who actually honor him. And my giving to God is not a response of fear. And I'm not talking about a holy, reverent fear here. I'm talking about being afraid, being scared. Some people give out of a wrong motivation of, oh, well, I've got to give. I've got to, because, because God's going to know how much I have, and I have to give. And some people actually can get very legalistic about this. Was, was it 10%? I didn't give 10%. Oh, God, God's not going to bless me. God's going to... No, no, no. We give out of honor, never out of fear. God is not going to come down and smite you. God is not going to come down and, I mean, there's one story in the Bible about someone who lied about money, but I'm not going to bring that up today. God's not going to come down. It's about honoring God. When I give, I never give out of fear. I never give out, oh, oh did I give enough? Can, can I just put it to you that if you're afraid of whether you gave enough or not, do you know how I solved that problem? 
I, I actually just give way more than 10%. So then I know I'm never under. But it doesn't matter because I don't give out of fear. I give out of honor. God will not be angry at you if you miss some money. You're not paying rent. God is not your landlord. God ain't coming and knocking on the door going, hey, you haven't given this much. Us as a church, now I know that there's some church, <laughs> churches, there's some cults that actually demand, they demand your wage slip to know how much you earn. And if you don't tithe, they'll come knocking on your door. I'm not naming names. This is live streamed. I don't want to be killed this week. I'm not naming names. But y'all know what I'm talking about. And they will come and they will knock on your door if you have not tithed. Can I tell you, that's not the heart of God. God is not your landlord at all. We should be giving out of honor, not out of fear. I'm not afraid of God. I love him. He loves me. So I'm going to honor him as I give. My third motivation is this. It's obedience. It's not legalism. I give because God has told me through his word to give. And I want to be someone that doesn't just hear, but I want to be someone that obeys. Legalism forces us to do things that we don't agree with or we don't like because of pressure or manipulation. But biblical obedience is birthed in trust and humility. And so my motivation to give is actually obedience. Well, I can't afford to give. I've talked to many people over decades about giving, and I've always thought this to be true. If you can't tithe with 100 pesos, you ain't going to be able to tithe with 10 million pesos. There's a lot of people that, oh, well, when I get more, I'll give. Yeah, but when you get more, you'll get bigger bills. When you get more, you'll get a more expensive taste. If you can't learn to tithe with 100 pesos, you'll never be able to tithe with 10 million pesos or 1 billion or 10 billion. Come on, I'm just saying this in faith right now to anybody in this room. Let's go. Or 100 billion. Come on, if someone wants faith, lift up your hand and say, that's me. 100 billion. So start tithing with 100 pesos, and God will give. No, I won't say that. But I promise you, if you can't tithe with 100, you won't tithe with 100 billion. So my motivation is actually obedience to the Lord. If we as Christians truly believe that everything that we have comes from God, everything's been given to us from God, that means all our finances comes from God. So tithing is actually giving back what's his. I always say this in our church. Generosity starts at 11%. Generosity isn't found in the tithe. Tithe is just giving back to God what's his. Generosity, you want to be generous, give over and above. I'll talk about this in the next few weeks. But you want to be generous, give over and above. It actually starts at your 11%. And I think that this is a wonderful challenge that keeps our heart in check and pure before God. Do we trust God enough that he can provide for all our needs with the 90% left over? If I give that first 10, do I trust him and do I love him enough to be able to obey him that, you know what, when I give that first 10, I know that you're going to take care of all my needs with that 90 that was left over? Ultimately, giving is not about money. It's about your heart. If it was about money, then God would have given a certain figure, not a percentage to give. 
Do you know what's beautiful about a percentage? We all sacrifice at the same percent. The person sacrificing 10 pesos is, uh, is at the same sacrifice as the person sacrificing 10 billion pesos. It's the same percentage, which means that God's not after the amount. He's after the heart. Obedience is, I believe, the most beautiful example of having someone's heart. My son, Aslan, he is just a little amazing little boy. <laughs> he, is a, he is a cheeky makulit. He is, he is just, he is a boy. He is rough. He's rough at the wrong times. He's, he's a boy. And, um, and so we've been really trying to work hard with him about obedience. But do what I say. I mean, he's just, he's just crazy sometimes. The first day of school, the first day of school, right? Big school. He's going to school. We put him on a van at 6.15 a.m. He goes to school. He comes home. There's a van. Comes to our house. Kate opens the van. She opens the van. The first day of school opens the van. And my five-year-old son, there's high schoolers in the van. They're in the front high school. My five-year-old son is standing in the van with his shoes off, his shirt off, swinging his shirt, go, whoop, whoop, whoop. Kate looks at him and he goes, ah, runs straight by her and runs in the house. Doesn't even say hi. This is, this is my five-year-old son, right? So we are like, Kate called me. She said, James, she goes, James, you won't believe what just happened with, with Aza. And I opened the van and, and he's in there. I laughed. I must admit, I laughed. As a dad, <laughs> I laughed. And there was a piece of me that was like, oh, man, he is going to grow up and just be awesome. <laughs> but I just hope he doesn't get killed between now and then. Um, the high schoolers were angry. The high schoolers, the girls looked at Kate and said, he was crazy. <laughs> right? This is my son, my son. And we're working, we're working hard with him. We're trying to teach him to obey. Uh, it's hard. Trying to teach him to obey. Uh, yesterday, he was downstairs watching TV, and uh, he always has the volume up really loud, like super loud. And he watches, uh, you know, these educational shows or these little kids shows or Dude Perfect. He loves this thing called Dude Perfect trick shots. So he's watching, and it's so loud. And I, I came downstairs, and as I just walked down, I just said, Aslan, can you turn it down? Uh, and instantly, he pressed down on the control, like turned it right down. Didn't say anything, didn't fight back, didn't ignore me, didn't make a big deal. Oh, Father, <laughs> I will obey you as I turn down. He just did it. I was in shock. <laughs> I kind of walked and I kind of walked by him. He didn't even look at me. He just turned it down. Do you know how pleased I was as a father? Now listen, we got issues with him. I got a meeting with his teacher at school this week. We got issues with him. 
But, but a week ago, I would say, turn down, and he wouldn't do it. And he would argue with me. But we're working with him every day. And when he obeyed me, do you know how much that pleased me as his father? And I felt in that moment, ready? I felt like I had his heart in that moment. I felt like he didn't argue. He didn't talk back. He just did what I asked him to do. And I felt like in that moment, I had his heart. That's kind of how I see God sometimes with us. When we obey him, he sits there and goes, oh, yeah, I've got their heart. Lord, I can't afford to tithe, but I'm, I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to stop buying excessive Starbucks drinks. I'm going to look at my budget. I'm going to be talking about stewardship and budget next week. I'm going to be looking at stuff and going to make the effort. God is, not, I promise you, God is not in heaven going, oh, wow, look at how much they're giving. God is like, oh, I've got their heart. I've got their heart. They're, they're sacrificing. They're giving. Oh, I've got their heart. Do you know how much that pleases the Lord? God's not pleased by your amount. Don't ever, don't misquote me at all today. God is not at all pleased by the amount. He is pleased by our heart. And when God has our heart, I tell you, not only will we give, but we will give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, Paul writes, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I, I want to echo what the Apostle Paul says here. I don't want you to feel manipulated. I don't want you to feel that you're under compulsion to give. I want you to go and decide in your heart. I want you to go and pray. I want you to pray to God and decide, Lord, is this really of you? Is tithing of you? Is giving biblically, is it really biblical? Is it of you? Because if you can get that revelation from the Lord, and if God can grab a hold of your heart, I promise you, when you give, you will give with a smile on your face. I've seen some people give, they're like, <laughs> it's so much. As, as much as I still appreciate the giving, you've got the wrong motivation. When Kate and I give, I love legacy offering. In a few months, we're going to launch our legacy offering next month. And at the end of November, we do our legacy offering. We, we have big things down the front. People come and they give. I love watching people's faces as they give. I love it because I love seeing people that are giving. I've seen people that have given the most they've ever given, people that have sacrificed, people that have given not just a little bit, but a lot. It's a sacrifice to give. And I see the joy as they put it in the box or as they push it you know, into the little thing that we had a couple years ago, whatever it was. I see the joy as they give. Kate and I, this year, uh, we're believing and we've still got a couple months left, but we're believing that this is the largest we're ever going to give. Who cares? Who cares about that? Like, it's, it's about us too. This has nothing to do with you. And you'll never know how much I give, and I'll never know how much you give. But this is the largest that we're ever going to give this year. 
And instead of looking at everything that I could buy instead of that, oh, God has my heart. Why wouldn't I give cheerfully? I, I'm giving cheerfully this year. Do you know why? Because I know God's going to take care of all my needs. He's going to take care of all my needs. He already has. I have never gone without my entire life. He has taken care of my needs at every single moment. Was it rough sometimes? Yeah, we'll talk about that next week. But God has taken care of my needs. He has my heart. And so when I give, I give with joy. Today, if you're here and you're tithing, I want to encourage you. Keep doing it. If you are not tithing today, I want to encourage you. Go pray about it. Go pray. In our church, in the Filipino banking system, when you give online, which we encourage more and more people to do because it's easier for us and it's safer, but in the Filipino banking system, your name actually doesn't show up in the bank statement. I love that. You know why? Because we really don't know who's giving. We don't, we don't have a special section down the front here for like, oh, you're the big tithers. Come. I mean, I'm looking at most of you in the front row and... Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> no, like they're young adults, they're in Bible college, they're newly married, you know, there's a, you know, like it's, we don't treat people differently because of, of how they talk. We don't, we don't know. We don't know. But this is what I know. God's blessed our church. Yeah. Man, people have been generous. If you're not tithing today, I want to encourage you. I will not manipulate you. I'm not going to try and, and, you know, under compulsion, say, you should do it. You should. God's watching. It's not anything like that. You know, simply go and pray. Go pray. You know what I would do? I would test God. There's so much that I could have talked about today in Malachi, very famous scripture in Malachi chapter three. It actually says, test God in this, test God in your tithing. I would test God if I was you. Say, All right, God, I've never done this before, but I'm going to start tithing. Give God three months. Give God three months and watch him, listen to me, watch him take care of all your needs. He ain't going to give you a Lamborghini. I started tithing and I did not get a Lamborghini. This church just wants my money. No, 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 we don't. We don't. Don't do that. We will have people come to our church for 40 years and never tithe, and we will love them and we will care for them. That doesn't, doesn't bother me at all. But when it comes to the house, can I encourage you? Put your tithe in the house where you're being fed. I've said this to, to people many times. There are some people that come to our church and they go to another church and they kind of have one foot in both churches and all that kind of stuff. Firstly, I always encourage people, get in one church. Get planted. Don't be a pot plant Christian. Get in one church so you can be a tree that grows. But, but, but get in one church and then tithe. If you tithe and give money to our church, but you're being fed in another church, could I encourage you? Could you stop tithing to us? And could you put it in the church where you're being fed? You ain't going to hear many senior pastors say that. But it's because I believe that you should be tithing into the house where you're being fed. Tithe into the house. If you want to give to missionaries, if you want to give to other organizations, let that be generosity on top of your tithe. But tithe to the house where you're being fed. And trust God and trust the leadership that it will be used well. Again, we're pretty open about how we use it. But today, God doesn't want your money. 
He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And I think the biggest demonstration that God showed us how much he wants our heart is how much he was prepared to sacrifice in order to get our hearts. God calls us to give 10% the first fruits. In the Old Testament, we talk a lot about the, the firstborn, the firstborn of the lambs come and bring it just like Abel did. Well, God has one son, and God gave his firstborn for you and I. Because the Bible is clear. Sin is a big problem, and it's a problem that has touched every human being on earth. And when we have sin in our lives, sin separates us from God. But when God sacrificed his son Jesus, gave Jesus for us, Jesus who was sinless, lived a perfect life, went on that cross. When he went on that cross, he took all our sin upon himself. When he rose from the dead, he defeated the power of sin so that you and I could come to him and we could actually ask him to forgive us of our sin and give him our hearts. It's a free, it's a free gift, eternal life from God. He loves you so much. Maybe you're here today and you've never made this decision before, or maybe you're here and you did this a long time ago. You walked away from God. Maybe you're watching online or you're listening on a podcast and God right now is tugging at your heart. How, how can you go from preaching about money to talking about what Jesus did? It's, it's really, it's actually really easy because the greatest sacrifice was not a monetary amount. The greatest sacrifice was the life of Jesus given to you and me. 